Let us worship God together this morning.
morning we gather together to behold the glory of God. And in Exodus chapter 34, Moses got to behold God's glory. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. That's why we're here together this morning, is to behold God's glory through the proclamation of his word and through singing and praising him together this morning. And we are glad that you're here and that you've joined us to do that. So welcome to Newcastle Bible Church. And a special welcome to you if you are a visitor with us this morning. We are very glad that you are here. If you would, please take a quick moment to take your worship folder out. Inside there, you'll find all sorts of information about what's going on in the church. But inside there, you'll find this little checking card. And if you would be so kind to take a quick moment to fill out this checking card and let us know you're here. If you'd like, you could do all of that on the church app, which you can download for free on your phone, and it's fast and friendly. And also on the back of this card, you can find uh, a place to put prayer requests. We love to pray with you, for you, alongside you. And if you have any praises you'd like to let us know about, the things that you're very thankful for, we'd also love to praise the Lord alongside you. And if you're watching online, there should be links at the bottom or the side of your screen where you can also find that checking card and the worship folder for you to use. At the end of the service, you can take this checking card and you can slide it in the white tables that are at either entrance. And if you're visiting with us, I'd encourage you to take the card just outside these double doors. We have a welcome desk. You might have walked by it and you can give this card to them. They would love to meet you to answer any questions you have, and to give you a gift. So, quite an awesome situation there. Now, we've got a new resource for the month. It is June. Summer is underway. We have a new resource of the month we want to recommend to you. As we continue to go through the book of Ephesians and emphasize the building up of the body, that is our theme right now, this book is like the cherry on top of the Sunday. It is awesome. It's called Rediscover Church. Why the Body of Christ is Essential by Colin Hansen and Jonathan Lehman. This book's really practical, super helpful. Each chapter answers a question that relates to the church. First chapter is, what is a church? What does the Bible say a church is? What is, what is it? Another question is, is joining a church actually necessary? Is church discipline really loving? So those are some really intriguing questions, maybe some you've thought about before, or maybe now as I'm saying, you're like, huh, I'm not sure how to answer that. This book would be a great resource for you. The author writes this, God does not invite us to church because it's a comfortable place to find a bit of spiritual encouragement. No, he invites us into a spiritual family of misfits and outcasts. He welcomes us into a home that's rarely what we want, yet just what we need. And so I would highly encourage you to check out this book if you want to grow deeper in your understanding of God's intention and plans for the church and what your role in that plan looks like. And before we continue singing, oh, I forgot I have it right here. I can show it to you. This is what it looks like. Like, why do I have this on my music stand? Oh, yeah. 
Um, before I c- we continue singing, would you please bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, we're here to rejoice that you are merciful, that you have compassion on us in our pitiful state, that you are gracious, that you treat us in ways beyond what we deserve, that you are slow to anger despite all of our sin, that you abound in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's the reason why we're here this morning, because you have shown us that covenant love. You have saved us through the new covenant that was purchased with the blood of your son. We have been redeemed, delivered, set free from sin, and now we are slaves of righteousness. We are your slaves, Lord, but not just slaves, we're also your children. We have so many blessings, and we're here this morning to celebrate all of those and to give you all the praise and glory and to boast in Christ alone. So I pray that you would be magnified and honored through all the ways we worship this morning, through prayer, through the preaching and teaching of your word, and through songs and how we love one another. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Well, please stand with us as we continue to behold God's glory this morning together.
filled with his praises one day when sin was as black as could be jesus came forth to be born of a virgin dwelt among men my example is he the word became flesh and the light shined among us his glory revealed living he loved me dying he saved me buried he carried my sins far away rising he justified freely forever one day he's coming oh glorious day oh glorious Justified freely forever. One day. He- 
forward to that glorious day, eh? How special would that be? How's it go? I can only imagine. Wow. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we do look forward to that glorious day because you are a glorious God. And as we've already studied in Ephesians 1, you chose us, predestined us, you adopted us, you blessed us, you forgave us, and you graced us lavishly. No wonder the psalmist said, what is man? Even a sinful men and women here at Newcastle, what is man that you are mindful of us and that you care for us? No wonder he's finished by saying, oh, how majestic is your name? Lord, reading an author described your glory as the beauty emanating from your character. Your character, perhaps special and on the cross when you demonstrated your own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, you died for us. And then you showed your power, your power over death as you rose again, defeating the last enemy. We just sang the words, living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away, rising he justified freely forever. One day's coming, oh glorious day, oh glorious day. Lord, you are our glorious God, who not only promised us that glorious day, but you acted to guarantee it to us who believe. And as Paul further writes in Ephesians, and we've studied so that we here at Newcastle, like the Ephesians, might be to the praise of your glory. Lord, let our lives today and every day be to the praise of your glory until we see you face to face on that glorious day. Let us behold our God, and as nothing compares to you, humbly adore you all day today. Every day, as that glorious day gets closer. And Lord, Paul tells us in Colossians that Christ in us is the hope of glory. And if there are some here today, you're listening today, who do not have Christ in them, who do not have the hope of glory, let this be their adoption day. Let that day be today. Let them see your glorious grace so as they cannot help but receive you by faith, that they then may also someday see that glorious day. And Lord, we pray for those Living Hope Church in Bartonville has been our church partner all, prayer all this week and uh, let their lives also be to the praise of your glory and as specifically as Pastor Art asks, uh, we pray for them a spirit of unity and a continuing desire to be externally and internally aware of the needs of their folks and their community as they shepherd them to that glorious day all for your glory. And our single partner focus this week, K&H in Africa, they ask for boldness. So we pray for boldness as a desire to be more intentional with sharing with those God brings into their past, specifically uh, those in case Saturday morning study um, and then with neighbors around them. And they also know some grieving families who have lost loved ones, uh, help them to help their folks. 
We pray for their children as they finish Arabic school and preschool this week, as there's a lot of pressure to do well on these, all these final exams. Give them a focus and a peace that can only come in knowing you. You are a great God, and that they would know you are a great God who can be trusted even as you lead them through these difficult exams. And then we rejoice that K&H are preparing to head back to the States on June 13th and excited to reconnect with family, including our Newcastle family. We ask, uh, Lord, that uh, for your graces, you help them and tie up loose ends in their preparation and leaving. And Lord, uh, let K&H be to the praise of your glory as they continue your glorious work before heading this way. And now for us, Lord, continue to grow us here at Newcastle together as we learn more about Ephesians 1 today, about how to be the praise of your glory, to the praise of your glory, name of Jesus, amen. It's been said that if I could lose my salvation, I would, but I can't, so I won't. And this song we're about to sing is a reminder of that, and it's setting up too for Pastor Kevin, who's going to be preaching on security and assurance we have of our salvation being grounded in the work that God has done and not in what we have done. So since we've done nothing to earn it, we can do nothing to lose it. And would you please stand with us as we sing this comforting truth? When I fear my faith will fail Christ will hold me fast when the tempter would prevail he will hold me fast I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path for my love is often Just 
Jesus has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raised with Him to endless life. He will hold me fast. Till our faith is turned to sight. When He comes at Church, there's no stronger chain in the world than the love of God that secures us to himself. What a glorious, glorious truth to sing together. So Christian, no matter how dark your days, Jesus will hold you secure. You are never more safe than when you are held by God's love. Please open your Bibles now to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, where we continue our study of building up the body from Ephesians. If you don't have a Bible with you today, just raise your hand. We have Bibles. We'd love to give you a copy of God's Word. We encourage everyone to follow along in God's Word through every sermon that we preach from this pulpit so that you can always see how the message that is being preached is coming right from the text of God's holy word. Today, our attention is going to be focused on verses 13 and 14 of Ephesians chapter 1. And if you've been following along in this series, then you already know why we are calling this to the praise of his glory, part three, (laughs) because this is the third sermon that we're preaching on this one long sentence that starts in Ephesians 1 verse 3 and goes all the way down to verse 14. This entire sentence is kind of like a poetic song. It's like a breathless call to worship. For all of us to praise the Lord for all of our spiritual blessings that he has given us in Christ. This sentence is radically God-centered. It's Trinitarian in its nature. So let's quickly review what we've learned already so far before we read this sentence again together. Verse 3 calls us to praise and worship God who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then the rest of this sentence turns the diamond, so to speak, to show off all the various glories of our spiritual blessings in Christ. Verses 4 to 6 
reveal how God the Father lovingly chose us for salvation in eternity past so that we might be adopted into his own family. Last week, Pastor Tyson did a marvelous job preaching through verses 7 to 12, describing how God the Son redeems us from sin. He reveals the goal of history, and he gives every Christian and an eternal inheritance. I've been encouraged all week. I don't know about you, but I've been encouraged all week just thinking more about verse 10, how God's ultimate goal of history has always been to unite all things together in Christ. It's so profound. And now today then, verses 13 to 14, reveal how the God, the Spirit, seals us for salvation. And all of these various aspects of our salvation are to the praise of His eternal glory. So this entire passage is pregnant with rich theological truth that both rejoices our hearts and humbles our pride. The glories of our salvation bring much needed perspective into the daily shoe leather of our sin and our suffering. After all, let's remember, who wrote Ephesians? Who is the human author of Ephesians? Well, verse 1, look at verse 1, it says it's the Apostle Paul. But what's going on in Paul's life when he wrote this? Chapter 6, verse 20 says Paul was in prison. He was suffering unjust imprisonment. He was enduring a very dehumanizing situation simply for preaching the gospel. So if you were to get a letter from someone who is suffering such a similar kind of injustice, how would you expect their letter to you to begin? See, there's no hint of self-pity. There's no hint of a victim mentality here. Paul, Paul is so overwhelmed with gratitude for all of his spiritual blessings in Christ that no amount of earthly suffering is able to muzzle his desire to praise the Lord. And isn't that a powerful reminder for all of us, church? We live in a day and age when a victim mentality is celebrated and encouraged. Self-pity is the social currency of our day. Anyone who has suffered real injustice is now entitled and excused since they have a badge of victimhood in our culture. But loved ones, loved ones, listen. Because of the work of the Father, and because of the work of the Son, and because of the work of the Spirit, no Christian ever can rightly claim the identity of a victim ever again. Christians are not victims, but we are victors in Christ. Self-pity should never be our default perspective, but rather gratitude and awe and wonder. For we who were once enemies of God have now received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places through Christ. 
And no amount of earthly injustice or undeserved suffering can ever separate us from the love of God that is described in Ephesians chapter 1. So church, please hear this message. Oh, I know, I know there's some mystery in these verses about God's sovereign choice in our salvation. This passage often raises questions about how human responsibility and God's sovereignty can align. But we must never allow those questions to distract us from the main point of this glorious text. Paul wrote these verses out of the pit of his own painful injustice to urge his readers to worship and praise God for every part of our salvation. This breathless sentence should pierce through all of our self-pity and all of our temptations to play the victim and inspire our hearts to worship and inspire our hearts to praise and rejoice in the glories of our grace of our great God. So let's read the scripture now together. If you're able, I'd invite you to stand in honor of the public reading of God's word as I read the ESV translation from Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Paul writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Jesus, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the reading of the most glorious sentence in all of Scripture. You may be seated. Please pray for me and pray with me. Father, 
there's nothing quite like the assembly of your people on a Sunday morning. For we come apart for this purpose to lift high the name of Jesus, to sing the gospel to each other, to pray the gospel back to you, to listen to the preaching of your word and to submit ourselves underneath it, all so that you might reign and rule in our hearts and our minds and that we might be satisfied to see a bit more of the beauty of your holiness. Father, you know that we are weak. You know that we're easily distracted. And so we just ask humbly that you would please remove distractions from us today. I pray that your, your word would be like a refreshing aloe that would be rubbed into a wound. I pray that your word would be like, like steel girders that would come up underneath us and, and hold us firm and secure in our walk. I pray that your word would be like heavenly manna that your church would feast on today and be nourished and strengthened. I pray that your word would be like honey, like a delicious chocolate pie that that we would savor and cherish and delight in today. Oh, I pray that your word would be like a window through which we would all look today to see the glories of Christ and the wonders of your spirit at work within us. Please help us. We are weak, we are finite, we are simple, and we are dependent. But we are your people. (laughs) And you have given us a brand new identity, so help us to live out that identity together for your glory, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever doubted your salvation? Have you ever wondered, am I really saved? Perhaps you've, you've been afraid that you... You forfeited or you lost eternal life. Oh, oh, you know at one point in your life, God forgave you all your sins. But now, now because of some grievous sin in your life or perhaps because of some painful loss, you are questioning whether Jesus is truly as good as he says he is, whether he's truly as powerful as he claims to be. Maybe you've wondered now, have I gone too far? Have I, have I forfeited my eternal inheritance? You see, the overwhelming witness of Scripture is that genuine believers will wrestle with doubt whenever we encounter difficult circumstances or worldly influences or incomplete or misunderstood revelation or unfulfilled expectations. And so whenever you doubt and you struggle with doubting God or if you doubt that you're truly saved, oh, loved ones, you are not alone. Whenever we doubt or whenever it seems like unbelief is winning in our lives, we must always flee to Jesus. For although we are often faithless, He remains faithful still. 
Our salvation, though it necessarily requires our faith and our repentance, our salvation owes its ultimate security to the work of our triune God himself. Salvation belongs to Yahweh. And God always finishes what he starts. Our God will always keep his promises. Therefore, nothing is more effective at conquering doubt than rehearsing our spiritual blessings. Ephesians 1, 3 to 14 is a grand recitation of all of our spiritual blessings that God has given us in Christ. So if you're fighting doubt today and wondering whether you may have lost God's favor, read through Ephesians 1 again with fresh ears and praise God for all of our spiritual blessings in Christ and listen extra carefully when you read through verses 13 and 14 because here God unwraps a marvelous life preserver which swells our confidence in the guaranteed nature of our eternal inheritance. Ephesians 1 Verses 13 to 14 offer great comfort and assurance to believing hearts. Because here we see the spiritual blessing of how and when God the Spirit seals us. And the sealing of the Holy Spirit, when properly understood, is a great source of comfort and assurance to Christians who are wrestling with doubt. So let's walk through these verses carefully now to discover the timing of our sealing, the benefits of our sealing, the meaning of our sealing, and the ultimate result of our sealing. Verse 13 reveals the timing of our sealing was the very moment when we believe the gospel. Let's catch up with the context a little bit since verse 13 continues the thoughts that comes from verse 12. In verse 12, Paul refers to himself and those believers who are with him as we who were the first to hope in Christ. Now, some commentators would argue that the we in verse 12 is referring to the Jewish people, while the you also in verse 13 is referring to the Gentiles. But in the immediate context, that's not the best understanding. Because everywhere else in this entire sentence, Paul is using the pronouns we and us and are to refer to all Christians, not just Jews. So the we who are the first to hope in Christ is not referring to Jews particularly, but it's simply referring to Paul and the other believers with him who put their faith in Jesus before the Ephesian church did. In other words, they were first to hope in Christ in comparison to the Ephesians. After all, notice that the we in verse 12 are those who put their hope in Christ. And this is a synonym for saving faith. 
the first to hope in the Messiah, were the first people to believe that Jesus' death and resurrection was the basis or the grounds for their salvation. By the way, this is the first statement in verse 12 that refers to any human responsibility in our salvation in this entire sentence so far. So then verse 13 continues that thought. In Christ, you Ephesians also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Christ, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So when were Christians sealed with the promised Holy Spirit? Look at the text. When were they sealed? Well, when they hear the gospel, the word of truth. But it's not only when they heard it, but when they hear the truth of salvation and believe in Christ, right? God the Spirit seals us at the very moment of our saving faith when we hear and believe the gospel for salvation. So let's be very clear on this. The sealing of God's Spirit does not happen at a person's baptism. The sealing of God's Spirit does not happen by the laying on of hands of some local church elder. Ephesians 1.13 is clear that every person who trusts in Jesus' death and resurrection for their salvation is immediately sealed by the Holy Spirit at the very moment they believe the gospel for salvation. Other scriptures teach the same truth. Romans 8 verse 9 clearly teaches that the Spirit of God dwells in every believer. In fact, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him, is not a Christian. So whenever you hear the gospel with faith and you believe in Jesus for your salvation, that's when you receive the Spirit. That's when you receive the Spirit's seal. Now, we need to pull the bus over for just a moment here because we're talking about a person's faith, a person's belief in Jesus, a person's belief in the gospel. And clearly, human faith is man's response to God's elective purpose in our salvation. So believing the truth of the gospel is our responsibility, right? God commands all people everywhere to repent of their sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so that they may be saved. There is not salvation for your sins apart from faith in Jesus Christ. There is no way that anyone can be saved unless they believe in Jesus' death and resurrection for the salvation of their sins. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. So then right here in Ephesians chapter 1, we find both God's sovereignty and man's responsibility mysteriously coexisting without contradiction. 
In election, God chooses and predestines people to be saved before the foundation of the world, not according to man's will, but all according to the purpose of his own will. And in faith, people responsibly choose to trust Jesus for salvation. So both God's choice and man's choice unite in perfect harmony whenever a person is saved. Now, admittedly, there's some logical tension between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility in our salvation, right? Our recent sermons have tried to shed some light on these questions, but but finite brains are incapable of fully reconciling all the mysteries of the compatibility between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility in our salvation. We must believe both to be true, just as they are revealed in Scripture. So then in verse 11, look at verse 11. God the Son gives a very certain inheritance, one that is predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, right? And then in verses 12 and 13, we see this Certain inheritance that's been predestined by the sovereignty of God is received only by those who hope in Christ, who hear the gospel and receive and believe in Jesus. And here's the grand spiritual blessing that we celebrate today. God the Spirit seals us the very moment we believe in Jesus for salvation. The end of verse 13 says, when we believed in Christ... We were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So let's now discuss the benefits of being sealed. Because God the Spirit seals us for our assurance. The sealing that Paul is referring to here uh, refers to like an official mark of identification that might have been placed on an important document. So the seal... uh, in the time of Paul in, in, in Roman, in the first century, uh, a seal was usually made out of hot wax. And then it was placed on a document and impressed with a signet ring. So the document was thereby identified with the person to whom the signet belonged. So the sealing of God's spirit is going to bring four different benefits to the believer for our assurance. Security, identity, certainty, and authority. Let's quickly walk through each one. First, the sealing of God's Spirit gives us security since we are thereby protected by God's own power. You say, well, how is a seal related to power and security? Well, Do you remember what the chief priest did to Jesus' tomb in Matthew chapter 27? After Pilate gave the chief priest permission to make the tomb secure, make it as secure as you could so that no disciples can ever steal Jesus, right? What did the chief priest do? Well, Matthew 27, 66 says, they went and they made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. So they put the seal of Rome 
on the tomb, declaring that the power of Rome itself had closed the tomb. No one could dare break that seal unless they had more power than Rome. So in an infinitely greater way, the Holy Spirit seals you, Christian, as a witness that the power of God has given you eternal life. You will never perish now. No one will be able to snatch you out of his hands because the sealing of God's spirit means your soul is forever protected by God's eternal and inexhaustible power. That's worth the praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, church. You know, it's okay to be expressive at church. Maybe, maybe we're not very expressive here. Maybe we need some prompts. So here's what I'm going to do. At a certain point throughout this message, there's going to be some great opportunities for you today to say, praise the Lord, okay? It's just three words. I think you can do it. So I'm going to point to you like this with both fingers. That's my cue. When I point to you and I say, praise the Lord, that's your cue to say, do it with me. Praise the Lord. That's right. The sealing of God's spirit means your soul is forever protected by God's eternal and inexhaustible power. Amen. Second, the sealing of God's spirit gives us identity since we are thereby marked as God's own possession. Seals often communicated ownership in Paul's day. Back in the time of the prophets in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 10, the prophet signs and seals a real estate deed, thereby establishing himself as the new legal owner of the property. And in verse 5 of our passage, God predestined us for adoption as sons, freeing us from the devil's influence, and taking us as a people for himself, for his own possession. So you can think of the Spirit's seal as declaring the legal transaction of your adoption as divinely official and final. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, the Holy Spirit seals you marking you as God's own special possession that no longer belongs to anyone else. Praise the Lord. That's marvelous. But third, this sealing also gives us certainty that we are guaranteed beneficiaries of God's own promises. Verse 14 clearly says that the Holy Spirit guarantees the eternal possession of our inheritance. In other words, once the Holy Spirit seals you, you are preserved. You are kept guarded by him until you realize the fullness of God's salvation at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The seal of God's Spirit on us is what gives us certainty that our inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Ephesians 4.30 highlights this same point, teaching that we were sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. In other words, the Holy Spirit's seal is future-oriented. It's preserving us in nature 
So, so all who are believing in Jesus are immediately sealed by the Holy Spirit, protected by his power, marked as his possession, and given certainty that their internal inheritance is absolutely and eternally guaranteed. Praise the Lord, right? Finally, the sealing of God's Spirit communicates that we possess the very authority of God himself. We are commissioned by God's own authority through the seal of his spirit. You see, in ancient times, uh, the decree of a king was represented by the king's seal. You see that in stories like Daniel or Esther in the Old Testament. So likewise, and in an infinitely greater way, the decree of our God is communicated by his seal of authority on our lives. So when Christians are sealed by the Holy Spirit, we are therefore authorized as his kingdom agents to make disciples, to proclaim his gospel on his behalf under his authority. So just pause now for a moment and let this spiritual blessing sink in. Nowhere in the scripture are we commanded to pray for the seal of the Spirit or to seek the seal of the Spirit. The spiritual blessing of assurance is given to every Christian the moment they hear the gospel with saving faith. So whenever you begin to doubt, renew your heart with the assurance that God himself has sealed you with his Spirit. The same spirit who is promised to Israel back in the prophets. The same spirit who is promised to the church by Jesus himself. If you have trusted in Christ for the deliverance, for your deliverance from sin, then God's spirit protects you by his power, marks you as his possession, guarantees your future in his promises, and authorizes you with his authority. These are the benefits of being sealed by God's spirit and what assurance and what joy this brings to our souls. Now, we've learned the time and the benefits of the spirit's sealing, but now let's look at verse 14 to discover what does it actually mean to be sealed by God's Spirit. Verse 14 teaches us that God the Spirit seals us Himself as a down payment of our eternal inheritance. So the sealing of God's Spirit is actually an advance deposit. It's a foretaste of all that God has promised to his redeemed. Let's read verse 14 again. It says, The promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This is so precious. I just, I've been praying the last several days, Lord, please help me communicate this truth in the clarity and the conviction that it deserves. Do you see that word guarantee in verse 14? The King James, the King James, 
version, translates this word as the earnest. The NIV translates this word as the deposit. In other words, the guarantee refers to the first installment of the larger inheritance which is to come. In classical Greek, this word actually meant engagement ring. So don't miss this. The Holy Spirit doesn't just give us an advance foretaste of our future inheritance. The Holy Spirit himself is the one who is the engagement ring for our eternal marriage to Jesus. 2 Corinthians Chapter 1, verses 21 and 22 say, It is God who has established us with you in Christ and has anointed us, who has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as the down payment, as the guarantee. Notice the Holy Spirit is the Christian's down payment which assures us that God is going to make good on all the fullness of the eternal inheritance that he has promised us in Christ. Oh, this is so good. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 5 repeats the same truth. He who has prepared us to have mortality swallowed up by life is God and who God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee, as an earnest deposit. Paul teaches the same truth in Romans chapter 8 when he says, We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await eagerly our adoption as sons. You see, this idea of first fruits, that's very similar to the idea of a down payment. Because the first fruits were the first crops that were harvested, which foreshadowed the full harvest that would be brought in in the future. And for the Jewish people, this is what the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost celebrated. At Pentecost, each year, the Jewish people would bring the first fruits, the first part of the crop of the wheat harvest as offerings in an expression of faith that God himself would provide the full wheat harvest that they needed to survive. So isn't it interesting, church, that exactly on Pentecost, when the Jews were celebrating the first fruits of their wheat harvest, that God on that day sent his spirit to seal all who believe in Jesus because God's spirit himself is the first fruits. It's the down payment of our entire promised inheritance that he has given us in Christ. Praise the Lord. So rejoice. Rejoice in this wonderful assurance, dear Christian. God the Father chose you in eternity past to adopt you into his family. God the Son purchased you from your sin and is working all of history together so that you would be united together with him forever as his eternal bride. And our inheritance is the glory of dwelling together forever in oneness with God himself. And yet we are still separated from God's presence. 
And so while we are separated from God's presence physically, the spirit of Christ himself seals us like an engagement ring, giving us a small, imperfect, and yet glorious understanding of the blessed intimacy that we will enjoy forever someday in fullness when we are forever united to Christ as his glorious bride. Oh, what a spiritual blessing it is for us to be sealed by God's Spirit. What assurance this brings to our souls. And of course, the the sealing of God's Spirit ultimately results in God's glory. God the Spirit seals us to ultimately bring greater praise to God. When we finally acquire the, the, the possession of our undeserved and glorious inheritance with God forever. God himself will be the one who will be forever praised and forever glorified and celebrated above all. After all, the primary purpose of our salvation was never just to save us. God loved us. He chose us and redeemed us. He gave us Christ himself as our inheritance and sealed us with the markings of security and identity and certainty and authority all for the praise of his glory. Our entire salvation is God-centered from the beginning to the end. Everything we possess spiritually comes from God and returns to God. God does not belong to us, but we belong to him, church. Oh, church, praise God. Praise God for all of our spiritual blessings in Christ By God's spirit, we are only now beginning to taste the glories of our eternal salvation in Christ. We have now received the spirit of Christ, the spirit of life, the spirit of adoption, the spirit of glory. Therefore, we can abound in hope today, even while we're walking in the shoe leather of sin and suffering. So church, as we conclude this most glorious sentence in all of Scripture, may we rejoice in the assurance of our salvation. Have you trusted Christ? Have you put your faith in the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus for your salvation? If you do not believe in Jesus, translation, if you do not love Jesus, then you have no assurance. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. But if you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel of his salvation, then even while you await the fullness of your redemption, You can be assured that you belong to God and your salvation is certain. You will never again be a victim here on this earth for God has made us victors in Christ. You have been branded with the promised Holy Spirit. You have been sealed with an irrevocable and eternal security, identity, certainty, and authority. You have now been given God's spirit himself to dwell within you as a divine witness 
to the future fullness of the communion with God himself that we will all enjoy and realize in glory. So dear believer in Jesus, the sealing of God's spirit is what makes it possible for you to have a humble confidence, a joyful, humble confidence of your eternal life in Christ. It's not your feelings and it's not your performance that is the grounds of your eternal security with God. Your eternal security rests ultimately in the work of God the Father, the work of God the Son, and the work of God the Spirit. And understanding that renews our faith, revives our hope, fuels our holiness, and gives us assurance whenever we wrestle with doubts. May God help us all to praise the Lord for every spiritual blessing that he has poured out upon us in Christ, even when we never earned it or ever deserved it. Let's pray. So, Father, we want to thank you. What else could we do but stand in awe, to put our hands on our mouths and say, God, there's no God like you that would love a sinner like me? Father, please forgive our sins, purify our hearts, give us greater affection and greater longing and greater yearning to be with you, the bridegroom, forever and ever and ever. And oh, what a down payment, what a deposit, what a foretaste you have given us in the spirit of Christ, the spirit of glory, who is now dwelling with us, in us as your church. Oh God, help us to live out and to walk worthy of this calling. Help us, Father, to, to mortgage our lives to the Spirit, not to the flesh. Oh God, I pray that you'd please, please cause your people today to overcome doubts with praise and gratitude and worship. For you alone are worthy. And all of God's people would say, Amen. Please stand with us if you're able as we celebrate the blessed assurance we have. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine.
on my side. Angels descending, bring from above echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story. Part of the reason why the church sings, because Jesus has given every one of his children a song, and it's a song of gratitude, it's a song of praise, it's a song of worship, because he saved us from our sins when we didn't deserve it, when we never earned it. He saved us, he, he forgave us, gave us peace with him, absence of conflict, complete wholeness and an eternal inheritance as his bride. What a marvelous God. Oh, I pray that you know him. I pray that you love him. I pray that you're growing in your love for him, even this week, so much so that it overflows and you tell other people so that no one would go to hell without having to reject this glorious invitation to be part of God's family, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Oh, may God help us as his witnesses this week that we might faithfully proclaim him and live for him by the power of his spirit that is at work within us. Let's pray our benediction. Our benediction comes from Ephesians chapter 3, verses uh, 14, 20 and 21. Excuse me, 20 and 21. Are we going to have it up on the screens? If not, I'll read it for us. I'll read it, and at the end, I'm going to do this, and you know what to do. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever 
and ever. Praise the Lord. You are dismissed. <laughs>